0: Hello fellow readers and welcome back to Ravenclaw Readers. Today we're looking at chapter 10, Halloween, and examining its themes in tandem with the medieval poem Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. This Arthurian tale was written in the late 14th century and is now thought of as one of the finest examples of chivalric romance. The chivalric romance weaves myths, folktales, legends together to tell the tale of a hero, in our case Sir Gawain of the Round Table, who partakes in an adventure that showcases his skills, bravery, and honor in the chivalric tradition. The poem was originally written in Middle English dialect from the Northwest Midlands, and the poet's identity still remains a mystery. Typically, when referring to the author of the poem, most scholars will simply call him the Gawain poet or the Pearl poet. Traditionally, Sir Gawain has been divided into four sections or fits, and we will be focusing only on fit one for today. So before I give the summary of what happens in our lovely Middle English tale. Ella, would you mind
1: giving a summary of what happens in the Halloween chapter, please? Okay, so uh, where we pick up, Harry has now been at Hogwarts for two months And when Professor McGonagall sends him a Nimbus 2000, he is officially able to start his Quidditch practice with Oliver Wood. Harry's regular classes are also becoming more enjoyable now that the first years have mastered the basics of magic. However, on Halloween, a difficult charms lesson alienates Hermione from Ron and Harry. During the feast, a panicked Quirrell bursts into the Great Hall with the shocking news that a troll has managed to enter the castle. Realising that Hermione, last seen in tears in the girls' bathroom, wouldn't know about the troll, Harry and Ron rush off to find her, only to discover that the troll has found her first. Harry manages to distract the troll by sticking his wand up its nose, while Ron knocks it out with its club. When McGonagall arrives with Snape and Quirrell, Hermione lies to protect Harry and Ron, claiming that they were only in the bathroom to save her after she went after the troll herself. Bonded by their traumatic experience, Harry and Ron finally become close and loyal friends with Hermione. Bonded
0: by their traumatic experience. Yeah, that's, that's one way to put it. Um, oh, I can't wait to, to dig into all that. Um, but before we do, this is just the little summary um, of fit one from Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. It is Yuletide in Camelot and the court of King Arthur is celebrating with a gigantic feast. Suddenly the door bursts open to reveal a green knight astride a large green horse. The eerie green knight frightens the guests as he enters the hall, each of them staring in wonder at his strange appearance, asking, quote, what did it mean that human and horse could develop this hue? The knight challenges the guests to a game, giving the chance for one of them to strike him with an axe if he is given the opportunity to return the blow exactly one year later. At first, Arthur is keen to take up the challenge, but his nephew, the young Sir Gawain, offers to strike the blow in his stead. And so Gawain delivers a deadly blow to the Green Knight, lopping off his head with one blow of the axe. However, to everyone's utter amazement, the Green Knight's body then strides towards its severed head, picks it up without a bother and tells Sir Gawain he will see him again in a year's time to return the blow. After the initial shock, the guests then begin to laugh about the whole affair and yet an apprehension is still hung in the air as, quote, as such goings-on were magic to those men. So um, a brief note about why this secondary text was chosen. Well, Halloween is obviously a very important time and a very important time in Harry Potter. It is the night on which Harry's parents were killed, but it is also a great feast day full of cheer and celebration at Hogwarts, the school. But something terrible nearly always happens to disrupt the merriment within the series. In this instance, Quirrell's terrified proclamation of a troll in the dungeon causes as much alarm as the entrance of the Green Knight into Arthur's Christmas time festivities. I wanted to look at the effect of such an intrusion upon times of celebration and consider how the chivalric themes of honour, courage, loyalty play out in this particular chapter in The Philosopher's Stone. Well, I guess one of the things that I spotted leading on from our discussion last week about um, about uh, Harry breaking the rules. So we talked a bit about um, McGonagall, you know, him getting a a spot on the Quidditch team and McGonagall in a way praising him for breaking the rules and then Harry being completely reckless again and getting out of bed during the middle of the night and once again breaking the rules. Um, And in, in this uh, chapter, I think, again, we're kind of called into question w- about uh, rules and codes of honour, and are the two things the same? So, obviously, the chivalric code of honour is something very important to Sir Gawain and the Green Knight. Um, it, it, it's there throughout the whole poem, um, but you also see it in the first part that we read, um, and one of the things that I noticed that Hermione says after Harry uh, gets his broom and everyone knows what it is obviously even though McGonagall says don't open this at the table everyone knows instantly um, and Hermione says so I suppose you think that's a reward for breaking the rules and she's very huffy about it is Hermione talking just about like the rules of the school in that you know for example you know you shouldn't go flying when Madame Hooch says not to or you shouldn't be out of bed at a certain time or is she speaking to a more deeper idea of a code of honour like you broke the rules and got Gryffindor in trouble which we saw was really important for her not to do and not to get Gryffindor in trouble and yet you get a
1: reward for it. And if you know that is the way she feels I feel like she later kind of changes her stance on that because if we talk about the difference between rules and uh, the code of chivalry um, we see that Harry and Ron Actually, break the rules mm-hmm. um, by not following Percy back to the Gryffindor common room when the troll is announced. They say that they do the chivalric thing, which is to go and um, rescue Hermione.
0: Oh, I didn't even realise that. Yeah, there is that very typical like damsel in distress, and Hermione is completely not the damsel in distress at all. So it's a really um, strange thing to actually have that in this chapter.
1: Yeah, and we actually see her be quite grateful for it in the end because yes. she herself then breaks her own kind of mm-hmm. con- co- her own code of conduct by lying to teachers, which is entirely out of character, to protect Harry and Ron after they came to help her.
0: So should we start with that? Because that's really the most important thing in this chapter is Hermione's, her being able to befriend Ron and Harry after this incident with the troll. And apparently, initially, the editors, just a little aside, but the editor wanted J.K. Rowling to take this scene out because they said it was unnecessary. And I'm like, it's one of the most important parts of the whole series, I would have thought. So I'm glad she was able to stick up for herself and... uh, and not take this out because this is this is the this is the starting point for Ron, Harry, and Hermione's um, friendship. So, yeah, I think it's interesting that you mention um, the idea of her having a code of conduct, because is that what that's what we see in Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, isn't it? Yeah, because having your own personal code of conduct, which you know Hermione values honesty to teachers and not breaking the rules, um, is different from just sticking to the rules because they 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 are these are the hogwarts rules so i'm going to just stick by them as to not get in trouble
1: i think it was um the bond of newfound friendship which mm-hmm. was driving hermione um she's motivated to break her own code of conduct in order to protect her friends and i think that's quite similar to how uh, gawain acts um when he takes the challenge in arthur's place because he is trying to protect his uncle so he's motivated by love and family
0: yeah yeah so that's um exactly so the the green knight comes in and he says i'm clothed for peace not kitted out for conflict but if you are half as honorable as i've heard folks say you'll gracefully grant me this game which i ask for by right so this is the knight addressing arthur yeah, the idea of uh, the beheading game is... It's a recurrent theme within medieval um, poetry and medieval romance. So even though th- the Green Knight says, oh, you can strike a blow, he, no one actually mentions like actually cutting off someone's head until Gawain takes up the axe. But yet everyone expects this. So it's this strange thing of um, these rules that are unwritten and they're very different from say like the standard Hogwarts rules that Dumbledore lays out in the the opening speech where he says no one's allowed on the third floor um so so the 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 knight is asking to be a part of this game and this game has distinct unwritten rules but everyone knows what these rules are and he's asking them by right so there's a lot of I don't know there's a lot of um societal and personal values and beliefs kind of interwoven in, in that um, series. And that's why I think uh, medieval literature is so interesting. and as well with a lot of ancient um, literature like we see it in the Odyssey and these kind of rules about guests entering and how to treat a guest. And you know th- there, there is an unwritten way that people um, need to act hospitably towards people. So um, so the fact that Arthur is this great king and has this great reputation, means that the knight is able to also has to act around him a certain way and as as you say Ella the reason why Sir Gawain takes up the challenge is because he knows it's not right for the king to have to put himself in in that position of of danger because initially he was going to be the one to do it and Sir Gawain says i'm the least skilled as a knight i know that i wouldn't even have a place here if i weren't your nephew so i'm going to put my life on the line because i'm the least important (laughs) which is a bit unfair to himself it's a bit self-deprecating but um yeah it's like hermione stepping into that role of putting your own needs behind that of the group which gawain does and which hermione does for ron and harry i think Okay well again talking about rules, I noticed that and um, this is the chapter in which we are introduced to the rule of uh, the rules of Quidditch. Um, and again, so those are very direct rules of this this amount of players, there's this amount of balls and this is how you have to interact with each one. But the thing that I thought was uh, you know that's quite scary about Quidditch, aside from you know having to fly around, Fifty feet into the air, or whatever it might be, is the the bludgers. Like the bludgers are a terrifying aspect to to Quidditch, and um, it says that when Har- when they uh, would release as the bludgers, they they instantly go straight for Harry's face. I guess that speaks to uh, like how the Wizarding world kind of operates, even in this this game that does have quite strict rules, there is still this element
1: of chaos and unknown. It's, it's also kind of like the bludgers are operating by the knight's code, which is, you know, when game is in play, you've got to fight to the death.
0: Oh, okay. So so the bludgers are the, um, rather than being the chivalric, this idea of, oh, well, the knight is supposed to be noble and is supposed to be courtly and all, all that. Um, instead, it's, yeah, it's like the knight in fighting mode where even though they have all these, uh, these, these chivalric rules that they try to stick by, still, once you're in battle, really, all bets are off in a way and, and you have to just um, <laughs> go at it just for yourself and that's what the Bludger is doing. Yeah, I think that's quite funny. I'm going to ask Paul. Paul, having not read the books before, what did you think of Hermione's actions in this chapter? Where do you think they're coming from? Because here's the thing with, with this, this situation. So Harry and Ron actually do leave the feast Oh, sorry they they leave and they don't follow percy all the way to to griffin tower because harry does say oh hermione doesn't know about the troll and we have to we have to warn her so they actually do go to try and and warn her about it and then they get caught caught up with it the whole thing um so in in what she's saying doesn't change the situation, you know. the The two boys have still disobeyed the the, the orders given. She's still a, a a victim of the troll. It and yet it kind of changes the mindset of Professor McGonagall and the the kids as well. So, like, why does she bother lying?
2: Uh, well, I presume she lies because if she told the truth, it would lead just to more questions. Why was she in the bathroom? Uh, why was she crying? It was because of Harry and. and Ron. Oh,
0: because Ron said she had no friends. That's really heartbreaking to me. I remember that bit because. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I suppose what they respond to is that she. She could easily have lied, but she, she chose to save them instead.
0: I see. So by taking their hit and saying, I went to look for the troll, she's the teachers aren't going to ask any questions that would lead to Ron and Harry getting in trouble because they've upset Hermione. Because then I guess that could lead to more questions and who knows, someone might let slip about the whole Midnight Jewel scenario. You'd never know how that <laughs> how far down the rabbit hole they could go with that one.
1: So when uh, Claire initially picked uh, the Green Knight as the source to compare with this chapter, she gave us a point of reference of disruption to celebrations. Um, so... In these chapters, what we see is Arthur's um, New Year's Eve feast, I think it is, being disrupted by the the arrival of the Green Knight versus the Hogwarts Halloween feast being disrupted. Um, And I was just wondering um, whether it's a coincidence that both disruptions happen to occur on celebratory occasions and feasts in particular, or is there um, something more dramatic about it being an exceptional day and an exceptional circumstance? You know, if, if, he, if the Green Knight had just arrived while Arthur was holding court with his subjects, for example, it wouldn't quite have had the same effect. Um, so what is the dramatic purpose of it being a special occasion, would you say?
0: <laughs> well, I guess it is dramatic. The Green Knight talks about how he has Particularly, specifically, sought out Arthur's court because he heard these great tales about you know the wonderful king, and he's there to kind of see if they're true and to get not just Arthur but you know the rest of the knights of the Round Table to try and prove themselves. So I suppose strategically for the for the night, it it makes sense to have this yeah this large gathering of people, um, but it also I thematically. I guess <laughs> this sounds a bit sinister, but um, it's like the, it's like the bludgers. It's like you can't always be secure, even in in moments of merriment. There there's always these outside forces. The Green Knight. He's he's linked to like the supernatural in his his green um, appearance, and there's lots of discussion about why is he green and is it even green? Perhaps it's a mistranslation, but anyway, we're going with green, um, and that's kind of what Quirrell's disruption does. It 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 reminds everyone. You know, Hagrid's talking about how there's no pla- safer place than Hogwarts, and and Quirrell comes in and kind reminds, of reminds everyone that um, not even Hogwarts is completely safe. There's Because lots of dangerous things do happen to the children, like even in classes um, that we can see, but they can often be mended very quickly by a spell. So they seem chaotic to us as readers or as muggles, but to the wizarding world, it's nothing. But this this troll is something that is, um, that is terrifying, and the teachers you know, don't know what to do about it, and they're not even in the right place.
1: But I guess perhaps he was motivated by the fact that during the Halloween feast, the whole school was present. Mm -hmm. So everybody's distracted at the same time by the arrival of the troll in supposedly the dungeons, which then gives him free license to... The potentially the potentially yeah. go off and do whatever he needs to do um <laughs> on his secret mission for he who must not be named try not to give too much away for paul here but no. <laughs> i know
0: I, I mentioned something about quirrell and and voldemort and paul Paul was like oh wait hang on yeah <laughs> he'd forgotten that <laughs> we talked about that so it's um it's useful though because paul doesn't necessarily know exactly what's no going idea, on yeah. mm-hmm. Why
2: was voldemort or uh, what was Snape
0: walking down the corridor. Oh, you think that's it's suspicious about Snape. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is, it is suspicious. He goes, suspicious. Snape goes straight to the third floor. Well, I think there's also a distinction between how, this is maybe a small point, but between how the knight is portrayed and how Quirrell is portrayed so the knight comes in and he is of strange appearance but he's still described as being quite handsome even though he's all green and he's very confident and he's very articulate um, and he's able to make a point verbosely and Quirrell comes in and just he says like oh I was a troll in the dungeon thought you should know and just faints instantly and he's You know, the very picture of someone who's terrified and can't even- He's a bit like a damsel in distress. Yes, yes. His whole characterization is the damsel in distress. He's he's more of a damsel in distress than Hermione is, I think, in this chapter.
1: Um, Should we talk about the Green Knight and who or what it is? Because I thought at first, in its description, it was described as being like, a mountain of a man, mm-hmm. which really put me in mind of the mountain troll, which yeah. is because being like 12 foot tall or yeah, something crazy yeah, yeah. like that. And then it has, um, he has uh, long limbs, which reminds me of like the long arms that the troll has. Oh and yeah, that's like dragging the club. That's so a really thinking, ha- creepy Yeah, detail. and like, you know, fearful appearance, even though he's really handsome, like the troll. Not well, not that the troll's <laughs> handsome. It's um, <laughs> slightly, slightly weird phrasing there. Um, but it's, <laughs> I was thinking like, oh, this is definite like parallels with the troll. Mm-hmm. But then, um, I started thinking, oh no, maybe a more apt parallel would be like with the hogwarts ghosts okay. because he gets his head chopped off and he's mm. completely fine so he's yeah. obviously a supernatural creature he's not human which obviously we knew from the fact that he's completely green from head to toe um Giveaway. Yeah, yeah it reminded me a bit of um, are they called the headless hunters oh Who yes nearly the second nick book, really wants it? to join yeah. and i thought you know he just picks up his head and off he goes he just carries on with his daily life like they do and it's a point mm. of pride to them that they can just keep their heads with them and they're just carrying on as normal and so i thought oh it reminds me of that so what is the Green Knight? Who is he? Like is he a mountain troll or is he a ghost? I don't
2: know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I guess he's in a way he, he's he's something in in between. Um but he's certainly a magical being even in um the Arthurian legend later on in the in the poem you'll see that he uh he is a lot more involved with Sir Gawain. So Sir Gawain has to go on the quest to find where the green knight lives in order to you know allow him to return the blow in the green chapel um and you'll see that the 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 green knight has far more involvement in that quest than sir Gawain knows at the time he, he represents the the unknown he's this weird blend of so he's unnatural because he's supernatural. And yet he is also intrinsically linked to nature, but this strangeness of nature in that, you know, there is this unknown quantity to nature. So he's a bit of a, a contradiction in, in in his appearance and in himself. Reminding me thinking about like the, the parallels or between the Green Eye and other characters. I was thinking about the the the, the I guess they're going back to the Quirrell Green Knight parallel. So in one way we've seen how they're very different in that they react to danger differently but of, um, or that they react to um, intruding into the feast differently. But what we later find out, sorry for spoilers, Paul, that Quirrell, this is an act for him. This is, this is a trick. This is a, a performance. And the Green Knight, it's... Is there also an element of, of trickery here? Because, yes, we talked about how there are rules um, and unwritten rules. And he says to Sir Gawain, you know, you, you need to repeat to me what I've said to you about returning the blow and make sure that you understand everything that I've expressed to you so that I know you'll be truthful. And then there's no mention of, I mean, I guess, yeah, they sh- they should probably suspect that there's something supernatural going on because of how the knight looks. But does the knight, it, is he involved with like trickery when he is beheaded and yet he still survives? Is that, is that going against these unspoken rules of how these games work? And with quarrel, he's also kind of tricking everyone in, in, in pretending to know nothing about this and to be terrified of the troll. when really, we know he's behind it all.
1: I guess that depends on the Green Knight's motivation, which Mm. I'm not sure ultimately why he came into Arthur's Court to challenge the strongest knight there, um, because I haven't actually read the whole thing. Um, But I, I was also reminded, vaguely, when I was reading the Green Knight, um, the Green Knight also reminds me a bit of the Ghost of Christmas Present from A Christmas Carol. Oh well, in the, yeah, yeah, it's
0: thematically appropriate it being said at Christmas time. Well, yeah.
1: exactly, yeah, because you know the Ghost of Christmas Present is. All decked out in holly and mistletoe, oh, and the Green and Knight has the holly sprig and yeah, nature yes. things mixed in there. And his horse, his his horse's mane is like tinseled and beribboned and it's all very kind of ostentatious and a big show, a bit like the Ghost of Christmas Present. But the motivations of the Ghost of Christmas Present was to ultimately teach Scrooge a moral lesson. So I was wondering, you know, well, did the Green Knight have any kind of moral? motivations was he trying to teach someone a lesson or 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 was he just genuinely like I want to fight someone
0: you know you know the medieval chivalric romance too well of course it's about (laughs) teaching (laughs) teaching Gawain a moral lesson yes I mean he has to go through this um strange trial of he stays in someone's house so he's a guest in the house and he has to return whatever he receives in the house to the the owner and there's there's a the wife of the man who's let him stay in the house and she's trying to seduce him and all sorts of things like that and you know it all turns out to be a test of Gawain's morals. He's not just looking for a fight he is also looking to test the knight morally. Well is Quirrell always being tested by Voldemort? I guess he's always being challenged and tested by him I suppose we're supposed to on on rereading it thinking of it like that
1: well I think you know if he fails he's certainly gonna die (laughs) so he kind of does really have
0: to do his best yes to abide
1: by Voldemort's twisted code
0: yeah there's his twisted code I mean Voldemort does have his own code which is just to um bow down to him and that's it um (laughs) very simple and easy when you think about it (laughs) Yes, yeah, so it says um, this is after the 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 lads have taken out the troll, and it says that Snape McGonagall and Quirrell come bursting into the girl's bathroom. Um, Quirrell took one look at the troll, let out a faint whimper, and sat quickly down on a toilet, clutching his heart. Um, and initially that obviously seems like just a funny little detail of Quirrell being a wimp, but um, perhaps he's not. You know, we we could think of it. He's not actually scared of the of the troll, but he's scared of having let down uh, Voldemort, um, and that's quite terrifying. <laughs> oh, I thought that was an interesting point. Again, this is a small thing, but um, it says at the beginning of the chapter that neither Neville nor Hermione showed any interest in what was beneath the, the trapdoor, and I thought that that, that showed a very Big difference between Harry um, and also Ron's mindset, and then the two others' mindset, and where they're both coming from um, at the beginning of the chapter. But then at the end of the chapter, Hermione has kind of become enveloped now into their friendship, yeah, into the group, yeah. So she is going to have to find out what's beneath the trapdoor, whether <laughs> she wants to or not. Now she's she's committed to that. Well, I thought this was an interesting quote from Arthur. So it's when he's thinking about taking up the Green Knights challenge yeah. and whether or not he should do it. And then he's saying, well, folly finds the man who flirts with the fool.
2: Yeah, I wrote that down too, actually.
0: If someone is, is a fool and they're trying to goad you into a competition with them, then the person who is going to end up losing out is the person who accepts the, the offer of competition.
1: Is Arthur a fool you think for Ar- initially having to accept, you know? He was, he was motivated, I think, by a need to protect his pride and status mm-hmm. as a king. Yeah, I don't think he actually wanted to accept at all, um, but he mm. felt compelled to do so because he was the king and supposedly the strongest warrior there. So it would have damaged his pride not to have accepted a challenge when the Green Knight said, I want to fight the strongest knight here.
0: But he also doesn't really have a choice. Like, if no one else is offering up to, to fight the knight for whatever reason, I mean, they probably do have good reasons. You know, the knight's coming there to see if the tales of the, 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 the round table are true. And if no one's going to step in to defend the honour of the round table, then Arthur has to as the, as the king.
1: Yeah, So I he's mean, in a difficult I position. I <laughs> would agree with that completely. I think it is... It is foolish of him to accept, but he has no other choice. Which I think is really interesting when you look at what Hermione does. Because when she lies to protect Harry and Ron, she says, I went after the troll myself, I thought I could take it. Mm. Which makes her look like a foolish young girl. Yeah, it does. And yet she does that anyway, even though it would you know, it would damage her pride as such. Yeah. But she still does it because she's motivated by a higher power, which is friendship. <laughs> um, everybody... That is the moral of the story. Friendship is everything. It is the moral of <laughs> Harry
0: Potter. I really do think that friendship is so important. Yeah, we see a lot of uh, characteristics coming out here. We see, it says, Harry just, just at one, all at once, Harry did something very brave and very stupid. And that's when he jumps onto the back of the troll and sticks his wand up the troll's nose because they know next to no magic and Hermione. Would probably know a little bit more magic, um, but it's not really said. I mean, you could guess maybe she didn't have her wand on her, um, or you know, maybe it was too frightened and wasn't thinking. But regardless, I still think she wouldn't have had enough uh, magic to take down a mansion troll. Um, so we do see you know, Harry still having that instinct to do something, even if it is actually quite foolish. Um, and then Ron. All he does is he, he says the first spell that comes to his head. He doesn't even know what he's doing. And yet it ends up taking out the troll. I think this is a really great moment for Ron. and I love the detail of him. He's just standing there holding his wand, just completely dumbstruck. And um, doesn't he doesn't actually put down his wand until Hermione um, outri- lies to one of the teachers and he's so shocked. But um, yeah, I think uh, it, it's a nice kind of turnaround in that Ron and Hermione had that big falling out over the Wingardium Leviosa spell and of course it's that spell that ends up you know uh, being able to save Hermione because she's the one who taught it correctly to Ron so in a way Hermione did have a hand in saving herself I think too
1: <laughs> one thing I wrote was a point and I put games and challenges Quidditch versus chivalric Jewels jewels are essentially they are kind of like a game a very high stakes game yes it's like you know mm. it's, a, it's a test of strength and also of honor i suppose yeah um which if we were at quidditch as well um you get the honor of winning brings glory to your house so i guess both the shival jewel and quidditch are motivated by honor as well as by skill and strength
0: yeah, so there was um, a thing where Harry is waiting for Oliver Wood to come onto the Quidditch pitch, and he just decides, you know what, I'm just gonna fly around my Nimbus 2000, try it out, have fun. And Oliver Wood comes in, and he says, um, "Oh, you really are a natural. I'm just going to teach you tr- the rules this evening." And I was just had a, I don't know, just a brief kind of thought about the the difference between like being a natural at something, but then also still having to learn the rules
2: if you just because you're a natural something doesn't mean that it can be useful i suppose if you don't have the the routine or the discipline of practice every three days then
0: yeah it's a lot of practice isn't it
2: (laughs) you're not going to be able to um perform consistently that which is required of you to 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 carry the the team in quidditch
0: yeah i think that that's true, that, that idea of being consistently showing up and trying to, to play by the rules and, and understand yeah, the, the space in which you're you're working, that's important because yeah, Harry could be really good at flying, but if he doesn't know the rules of Quidditch, he's not gonna be able to win the win the Quidditch Cup. I thought it was funny that they said Charlie Weasley could have played for England if he didn't go off chasing dragons. <laughs> <laughs> and that made me wish that we knew Charlie a bit more because there's something very fanciful about that. You know, maybe he decided he could have brought glory for the team you know, of England if he was that good a, a seeker. Um, and yet uh, he decided to go off and <laughs> chase his dream in <laughs> Romania. Um, I just thought that was quite a funny line.
1: Yeah, we really don't see him that often, do we? Yeah. So now he comes in in the Goblet of Fire yeah. and they have the dragon challenge. He's like the
0: least seen Weasley brother. Yeah. Which is tragic, really.
1: Because I can only think of that instance and in the Deathly Hallows when everybody He shows up at together. the wedding. Yeah. 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 Do we see him at any other time?
0: I don't think so. I mean, he's working for the Order, but it's always abroad. So <laughs> that's it. Um, yeah, which is a bit sad. So just to end on something that's very a sentence very well known from this book, but one of my favourites, the very last sentence of the chapter. There are some things you can't share without ending up liking each other, and knocking out a 12-foot mountain troll is one of them. I was wondering, Ella, at the beginning you mentioned this idea of collective trauma. Do you think it's the trauma that brings them together? Or do you think it's Hermione's willingness to as you've mentioned to her code of her code of conduct her code of values has shifted some some a little bit um and she's willing to protect her friends even if it means lying to teachers
1: i think it's a mix of both i Mm. think the trauma of fighting a mountain troll when you're completely unprepared acts as a catalyst for them to be able to discover new sides to themselves that they wouldn't necessarily have discovered without such trauma which i
0: think is very true of wrong yes and it
1: means that they can they can rise above themselves and come together as a unified team and that is what forges very strong bonds of friendship which now can't be broken because they know that you know when the going gets hard they will always be there for each other
0: yeah they'll have each other's back Sir Gawain has to do everything himself. You know, he's got to go off on this adventure to find the Green Knight in a year's time all by himself. But at the end of this chapter, we know that Harry, Ron and Hermione, it's not that they not only do they have a respect for each other, but they end up liking each other. And that's what it says, that the, the word like, that they like each other. That's really important because Ron and Harry did not like Hermione and it doesn't seem as if she really liked them too and um, with their rule breaking ways that friendship is formed on them yes yeah, seeing things in each other that perhaps they hadn't seen before and that turns into into a real into a real bond of friendship. Thank you so much for listening everyone. Next week we will be looking at chapter 11 Quidditch and we will be looking in parallel with Jason and the Golden Fleece from the Argonautica. Thanks, bye bye.
1: Thank you. Thank you.